if you've been around the Wellsprings for a little while, uh, you probably are familiar with this. This is one of our core texts here at Wellsprings. This is water, the small film and larger speech from the words of David Foster Wallace, the late novelist. What this is water is about is about staying conscious, staying present, staying connected in the midst of a life that very often stresses us out. And particularly in the midst of our very ordinary lives. The image that he uses is of a supermarket. A crowded, consumer hell-like supermarket in which we just want to get home. In which everyone seems to stand in our way with their terrible ordinariness. And that's the moment in which we can actually work. I love this water. I know so many of you do. And I want to offer that there can be an advanced practice in this consumer hell type situation. An airport on a weekend in the middle of summer peak travel season. <laughs> when you have just found out that you do not have a ticket home from 5,000 miles away. Some of you know this happened to Teresa and myself two weeks ago. Actually, yeah, almost exactly two weeks ago. Sunday, we were supposed to fly home. What happened? And actually, we don't know exactly, but as best we can figure out, they listed us as no-shows, the airline did, on our original flight from Philadelphia to Dublin, Ireland. So when we got to the airport to get our tickets from Dublin back to Philadelphia, sorry, we have no record of you. So here it is. This wasn't like we got bumped off of an oversold flight. There were other people in that situation. They could help them out a little bit. For us, it was just, sorry, we have no record of you. Complicating this is water. <laughs> I'm about to take over. The complicated situation is that my wife and I, the trip we just took was coordinated with a trip with my larger extended family. And for some reason, my dad and my stepmother wanted us to use their travel agent. I know what you're thinking. Who uses a travel agent anymore? My dad and my stepmother do. And because they booked the rate for us, because the book was a code share through Iberia Airlines, which I never fly, they said, we cannot do anything for you, American Airlines. You have to contact your travel agent. Who lives in Florida on a Sunday or it's two in the morning. So for that brief moment, we had no way home. I tried my best. I mean, we were on the line that you don't want to be on, the line when they take you out of the regular ticket line and they put you on the line where everyone who has problems is on that line. We were on that line. The line where the person you talk to has heard nothing but complaints and people tired and cranky and angry all day long. I tried my best. Kindly Brontosaurus. Do you know what a kindly Brontosaurus is? That's a kindly brontosaurus. I have no idea if this is an empirically valid theory 
in terms of life hacking, how to get what you want, but the idea is that you approach almost like a supplicant, almost like a prayer pose, and you state as directly as you can and as kindly as you can into the eyes of the person who is standing in the way of the place that you want to go, please. Nothing. I tried my best of humor. I said, to my American ears, getting really bad news in the form of an Irish brogue sounds prettier at least. Crickets. So there we were for the next few hours trying to find our way home from the Dublin airport. And one of the things that we were taking a look at is if we wanted to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket right there in that moment to be able to fly back. Not that day, because there were no more flights available in any seats in that one. Like the Philadelphia. And I am aware, as well too, that as the great writer Anne Lamont says, that if you have a problem you can solve by just throwing money at it, you don't have a very interesting problem. This was a privileged problem. I was aware. In fact, as David Foster Wallace, I believe, would be proud. I even had some empathy for the beleaguered agent there, hearing one complaint after another, after another, after another. For a moment, my wife and I talked about that we had the smallest, most tiny case of those who are worldwide right now struggling to find their way home. And when I say the tiniest case, it's the point of barely being able to see it. Because this was a privilege talk. We knew we'd be able to get home. In that moment, it helped me to do one thing. My life is more natural with this than I am. I needed help to do this. Restraining my inner jerk face. <laughs> and to recall, to recall those countless numbers of people right now in our world, this very moment, not just the week, but then and now and for a while, who are struggling to get home, who do not know even what home is. Those who speak in the words of the poet Warshan Shire says, you only home if home is the mouth of a shark. So whether it's this is water or an airport, the lesson, and it's the lesson in today's Spirit Fix movie, is how we can remember to enlarge our hearts with compassion for those who are struggling, particularly by remembering our own struggles, not leaving ourselves out, but including us in that wider circle and water of humanity. This is the main character from today's Spirit Fits movie, Eliza Escobedo. Eliza, who in this scene is communicating. She does not speak with her voice. She uses sign language. She does not talk orally. When we first meet her, she is a cleaner at a secretive government facility in the early 1960s, Cold War America, this research facility which is kind of up to no good in a scientific way, who has kidnapped a character who is simply known in the credits as Amphibian found somewhere off the coast of South America. He is treated as sometimes, and called this most regularly, simply the accent. Because he can breathe water, and he can breathe air. And most important for this movie, because he is different, because he is unfamiliar, because he is strange, 
he is also seen either as a threat or an object, and never as a being with agency. Now, as we get to know Elijah in this story, we see that on that same kind of scale of being treated in a dehumanizing way, Elijah does that herself. She's treated as an afterthought, not seen, not perceived, or treated as somehow stupid or lacking in basic human connections because she cannot talk with her voice. What we see here in this very adult fairy tale is a friendship first born from their mutual state as outsiders. Liza eventually learns that they plan to do the most nefarious thing they can with him to be a man, which is essentially to accept him and use what they learn in the space race against the Soviets. Eventually, their friendship grows. She feeds him. They can do a little dance routine together. She learns of the plans of those who run this lab to cruelly kill him, and she decides that she will rescue him. Well, as it says of the amphibian man, he doesn't see me for what I want. He sees me for what I have. This movie is really, in a pretty cool way, an update on Beauty and the Beast. We've seen this story before. In some ways, it's not told terribly imaginably, I think, especially in terms of how it represents gender, because let's face it, when the shoe is on the other foot in a heterosexual couple, as most often happens in these movies, uh, the merman does not look like that. The mermaid looks like Daryl Hannah or Ariel. Not like the amphibian man. So, in some ways, they could have shown a little bit more imagination. But in some ways, this movie shows incredible imagination. And it has to do with allowing our own struggles in this life to soften our hearts. So often, the way that our language of resilience and getting through tough times in this world, the lesson I know I learned directly and even more than not just absorb the larger culture, is that you're okay when you have got over it. Whatever it is, whenever you have got over it, it also means you stop talking about it, because that means you don't have to make other people uncomfortable. Whatever it is, a grief, a loss, a tragedy, a trauma, so many of us were grown up taught that we should cover the tracks of our experience especially when that experience is difficult. But what I want to say, and I've learned it from actually you all, I've learned it from the people who I esteem most in this life, is that our deepest personal healing and our recovering from difficulty comes not from just getting over it, whatever it is for you, not just in our bouncing back, without learning from the place of our struggles to open our hearts to others who are still in pain. I think especially if we are in a social context where we might occupy any form of social power, this actually becomes an essential spiritual practice. There's all kinds of research that backs this up, by the way, in addition to our own life experience. 
that if we are in a position in which we occupy uh, social power, it could be race, it could be class, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, it could be with our families, it could be with our workplaces, it could be any context in which we as individuals might occupy social power over other people. What we've learned over and over again is that in our positions of social power, unless we are really clear in our intention, is that we will become less likely to consider the experiences, feelings, and lives of those who have less social power than us. It is a spiritual practice to inhabit the places of our power in the place of compassion. It has, of course, terrible implications for how our laws are made. Some of you remember this person from a number of years ago. That's Simone Campbell. Remember nuns on a bus? This wonderful Catholic social justice movement. Well, Simone Campbell is still very active, even if the wheels of the bus have quit running. Simone Campbell tells a story about lobbying a number of years ago for healthcare legislation that would particularly be addressed at something that millions of Americans face, face or are facing right now, which is potentially losing everything because they happen to have the unfortunate luck of getting sick. And Simone Campbell asked a question to a recalcitrant, a resistant congressperson. How could you and your colleagues turn your eyes away from the suffering and fear of your people? And what Simone Campbell received back, she was grateful for, but it also put tears in her eyes, and at least it was honest. The congressperson said to Simone Campbell, me and my colleagues, we actually don't get that close to the candid stories of their people. In fact, some did not see these people as, quote unquote, their people at all. This is why when we occupy positions of social power, it is so important to remember what is, for me, the single most important line in the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember that you were once aliens in Egypt, and so you must never oppress the alien in your midst. Remember that you know what struggle is like. You may want to cover its tracks. You may want to cover it up. You may not want to talk about it, but the single best way for us to remember the way back to those who struggle currently is to get in touch with our own hearts, even when our hearts have been broken. Not as masochism, not as being stuck in the past, but as a gateway to compassion right here and right now. I have a colleague who, um, I don't know how I describe them. They've done psychotherapy and they've done coaching and they've done spiritual leadership. So I'm just going to call them really effectively what they are. That's when I first met them a number of years ago. They are a healer. And this particular healer did not have an easy upbringing. They were one of those kids that was in trouble over and over and over again. Behavioral issues, drugs and alcohol, brushes with the law, overwhelming their family. And eventually, this healer who I knew grown up and as an adult was sent away, not as an act of rejection, but as a last-ditch effort on the part of the family to see if they could get some help. 
or something like a residential program. And it's take over a year. Part of this was traditional therapy. And some of it, the thing that left the biggest impression on my colleague, was this. When they got to this residential treatment center, they were given the responsibility to nurse a baby cat. Until eventually that baby cat grew up and stopped needing nursing and became an adult. And this was repeated over and over and over again throughout their time. My colleague, when they reflected on this adult, said, I remember how tender, how vulnerable, how frightened and scared and hopeful I was, and that baby cat was. And I remember that everyone who comes to me for treatment now has that same thing within themselves. Tender, vulnerable, scared, hopeful. This is what it looks like to integrate our own pain. And to invite us to create a bridge to the struggles and sufferings of others. This brings you back to the movie. And it is spoiler time. She did this actually a couple weeks ago. So block up your ears if you want to hear it. It's the end of the movie. And the amphibian man wants to get home. Wants to be free. That's what he's saying. Eliza helps him escape. And at the very moment before he is about to jump into Baltimore Harbor and find his way to home and to freedom, the cruel military security force finds them both and shoots them both. And they are gone. Except, because remember, this is a fairy tale. Turns out, an Indian man is something like a god <laughs> and can heal himself. He and Eliza both tumble into the water and she. He's gone. Remember the fairy tale part, which I just mentioned? Fairy tale has to be a kiss. He kisses her. And this moment, this is my interpretation. Could be yours, I'd be interested to talk to you about. I hearken back to something that was mentioned in passing much earlier in the movie. When we hear that Eliza was an orphan, and she was found by the riverside. The stars were on both sides of her neck. And all of a sudden, there underwater, her stars become gills. And she breathes. Seemingly happy ever after. And to be a man and wise and together. So the question is. Is Eliza an amphibian woman all along? Maybe that's what drew them together. I don't know. 
I'm just going to rescind first. I'm fine with letting the mystery be. What I can say is this. It helps for me to make sense of one of my favorite Zen teachings, which is simply not one and not two. We are not all the same. Eliza and the intervening man are not the same. But we're not two either, right? We're connected. That's what that little koan says. Remember that underneath all of our differences, as real and as worthy of respect and notice as they are, that relationship is reality. And when we connect with one another from a place of love and compassion, that related reality shows itself. It's a truth many of us forget as we go through our lives and forget that, yes, this is why. And another thing that's beautiful as well in this movie is that a lot of the stars they hold the power. In some ways, she has not buried her tracks. And this leads them home. I would say for all of us, the actual stars, the symbolic stars, they all hold power. Remember that we can heal, and in healing, we can be drawn close to each other. We can remember that Ram Das quote, we're all just walking each other home. And a song that my parents used to sing to me when I was a kid, Harry Belafonte, we come from the water, living in the water, go back to the water, show me where we're on, I'm not going to try and do it, I'm not going to suggest you do that. It is all the same water. When we connect into it, we have the possibility of turning our world around. Sometimes we forget and we think we're just a drop in a bucket, but enough drops in a bucket, we have a wave, and the waves reshape coastlines and lands. With this same world, we're committed compassion and loving kindness for ourselves and each other. This too can turn the world around. Amen. We give them blessings. In sacred waters, the divine flowing in our midst, which is never fully solidified, never fully being, always becoming. May we recognize that there is actually no shape of water, or maybe rather, Order is all shapes. It takes on you and it takes on me. And it becomes each of us. And it moves with us as we flow throughout this life. And so may we all never forget that what is here within us right now the hurts, the joys, the reality of our lives that all of us carry with us every single moment. It can teach us. Soften us into the shape of water. Grow us with strength and with resilience into the shape of the love that the world is.